0: Welcome everybody into the valley. I am Ethan Schutt, joined by my man Stephen Gardner. And Stephen, how are you doing on this Thursday afternoon?
1: I'm blessed. I'm excellent. I'm sensational, man. It's a nice day outside here in the Midwest. Um, Good weather is typically a sign that spring is near, if not already here. So I'm just taking it in stride. How about yourself, man?
0: Dude, it feels amazing outside. I literally Mm -hmm. was just out there for a little bit enjoying it. I don't know what our uh, our Arizona friends are dealing with right now. I know our East Coast friends are freezing cold. I was keeping mm-hmm. up with some of the baseball games that are starting today's opening day. I know my Red Sox have a crazy cold opening day for a late game in March. But here in Kentucky, man, it feels pretty good. And I'm guessing Chicago is not too different.
1: Chicago is lovely right now, man. <laughs>
0: well, good, man. Well, we are... Wanted to just start off real quick by letting you know there are some changes to the podcast, if you haven't already noticed, just within the first couple minutes. Um, We have been working kind of behind the scenes, finding a way to bring Steven in, get him integrated, and it's just sometimes the way life works, when change is going on one place, change is going on somewhere else. And with life and kids and work and a lot of things, uh, Ryan and Philip have stepped away from the podcast, I will say given that one of them is my brother and one's my best friend, that door is always going to be open to them. It's about as far away from hard feelings as you could be. And the best part about it is both of them were a big part in us getting Steven on board to begin with. So it almost feels kind of just like perfect full circle moment here. Uh, And personally, I'm excited to have Steven on board. We've said from the beginning, this podcast isn't just to like talk son's hoops, but it's also just learn more about basketball and I know Steven's going to help me uh, learn more, notice more on the court. Steven can put up with me for a little bit too. Uh, <laughs> and and we're excited. But last night, man, it took forever. But Kevin Durant is finally back on the basketball court. And there's, I think every single headline that writers and journalists and people like you who are getting ready to write stuff, like they probably had 10 things about Kevin Durant they expected to type. And that's not what we got. Tell the folks a little bit about KD's big return, because I know I wasn't expecting it to go the way it did.
1: Nah, for sure. And I mean, KD's one of the most candid interviews. So you could tell right away in the post game that it wasn't what pretty much what he expected either. Uh, it left more to be desired for sure in terms of efficiency and the standard, the gold standard as a scorer and efficiency that KD has as his signature. Um, he, he mentioned in the post game that he definitely was pressing after his first couple of shots did not go down. And I mean, of course you want for him to score more and score more efficiently, but the effect was still there nonetheless. He drew, he draws multiple, uh, multiple defenders attention, regardless of whether he has the ball or not. So naturally by him just being on the floor and available, he's going to serve his purpose. And then everything that comes from that, that makes the, the Sun's offense that much better is just going to be the cherry on top. So the fact that he wasn't scoring at the prolific rate that we, you know, are accustomed to him doing, um, but he was still out there. That's just the first step just to get him back out there. And then you take everything in stride from that point, man.
0: Yeah. I said the same thing last night. So uh, I've been married for almost five years now, which is crazy. And it has taken that long for my wife to choose to watch basketball with me. So she's <laughs> finally sitting down and watching some games. She started with KD's first games and she was everything i had sold he delivered and it was so clear and so i got, i told her last time i was like kevin durant's coming back it should be a fun one and i was like just watch the first half and it was funny listening to myself try to justify to her who does not care at all like no 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 i promise he's he's good like he's he's better than this and you could just tell he was frustrated with himself whether that was the pressure i think from his fake home court debut a couple weeks ago till now. Um, I love the interaction with him and Monty that got picked up on the mic'd up segment. like Monty could tell he's in his head. He knew he was in his head, but to your point upon kind of rewatching a good chunk this morning, the amount of space that he creates for others is unreal. Even when he sucks. And it's very rare to say Kevin Durant sucks at anything basketball related. I mean, there were some rough patches, man. Like, Props to him for still hitting some big threes when they needed it. I think that just shows, even on a rough night, Kevin Durant is still going to Kevin Durant. But looking at kind of the, the space that was created from his gravity, who do you think benefited the most? Uh, I thought there were multiple pieces maybe that you could kind of go with here. But just from, from your opinion, who do you think, even on an off night, was the happiest to have Kevin Durant back.
1: So even on the off night, I feel like it was a little bit more teeter towards the front court pieces in this one. So if you kind of, if you can kind of recall certain scenarios from the game, there's a moment where I think it was in the third quarter, and, um, Kevin was on the court with Biz Mac comes down court in transition. I think it might have been after Biz Mac block or rebound. He sprints down court, and they empty the entire left side of the floor. He comes off of the pick, and Biz is wide open on the roll. I can't remember if that was a layup or a hook shot that he missed or he converted on, but just the gravity of Kevin Durant coming off of that pick just naturally sets the table for him. And then there were other situations with, I don't think Aiden screamed for him, but other situations where uh, he was in a pick and pop. With uh, Cameron Payne in the third quarter, Payne comes off of the screen and there's a subtle um, mess up with the, uh, the mesh point on the switch or whatever coverage it was with Kyle Anderson. And I believe it was um, Jordan McLaughlin and that slight little hiccup at the mesh point of the switch or whatever coverage it was that they were trying to execute left Kevin Durant wide open on the pop for three and he knocked it down. And I think they spammed that again a couple more times after that. So I think it was just more so teetered towards the second unit, just because the minutes he spent with the second unit were where he was scoring more often. Yeah. Um, but I, but clearly it's a, it's a, it's a dynamic of the offense that the entire whole, the whole of the parts is going to benefit from. Um, I can't recall any specific scenarios where he was like spaced on the, um, like free throw line extended and they came off of a pick and there was like no help like that. Um, just because of the way he was used yesterday against the Timberwolves defense. But but yeah, that that that's going to be a natural re-ingratiation into the offense for sure.
0: Yeah, I thought it's just so clear how much extra space there is out there on a basketball court. And I think that is even more abundantly clear after watching college hoops for the last few weeks. I don't know if you've been enjoying March Madness, but it is gross at times watching how just jam-packed and congested the spacing can be and part of that is coaches that are still coaching out of a 1965 playbook but like Mm. man Mm. when you've got guys that actually should get some attention things open up i thought chris was a big beneficiary late in the game when he kind of took over it wasn't it wasn't him doing more than what you would expect but he is constantly going to be in opportunities where you can get a pretty clean pick and roll without that extra help coming because no one's leaving Devin Booker or Kevin Durant. So he can kind of wait to see that matchup that he wants. And I agree. I thought Bismack did a really good job with the opportunities that were given. He'll still miss a couple of hook shots that drive me insane. But I thought his prominence was definitely more because of what was around him rather than him doing really anything out of the ordinary. I hate, I hate crapping on Bismack. I think he's probably one of the best guys on the team, just as a person. I think his skill set's his skill set. I don't think there's a lot of nights where you're going to be blown away by something new. But when the space is there for him to do his thing, he's going to. Um, the refs tried to make it very difficult for the front court, making pick and rolls near impossible with the amount of uh, crazy illegal screen calls. But still... They kept running their sets. They kept getting what they wanted. In terms of DeAndre Ayton, and let's just say the bigs in general, I thought one thing from last night was the rotations. The rotations stood out to me um, maybe more about who didn't play than who did. DeAndre Ayton gets in foul trouble. Bismack's the guy that comes in. Do you think that has more to do with Bismack versus Jock, or do you think that has to do with more of we're going against the Timberwolves who play two Giants? This is necessary. Because we, we kind of went back and forth on Twitter last night about that. You know, was it more of a matchup decision or was it more of a this is the Suns with Kevin Durant now? What was kind of your take about Monty's decisions on who to go with with Bismack? over jock and maybe looking at someone like landry and damien still chilling on the bench what were your thoughts there
1: well to kind of bring context to the question that you're asking so in the three games where kevin durant initially started playing with the Suns, they played against charlotte chicago and dallas um in those three games who was the big that got the backup minutes yeah jock 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 and he
0: looked kevin durant looked happy to have him out there and he looked real happy to be out there
1: Exactly. the One of the biggest standouts from that first, that that very subtle uh, window of games that we saw with KD early on was that him and Jock had a natural synergy, a natural mm-hmm. understanding, a natural relationship on the floor. So fast forward three weeks later, and we're going against the Timberwolves, is Bismack. I think that's a clear indicator that there is no necessarily set rotation in the front court behind DeAndre Ayton. It's going to be more matchup dependent. And with that, like you mentioned, with the Minnesota Timberwolves playing three, two Giants in the in the starting lineup and then having another one in Nas Reed that likes to bang but can also space yes. the floor. You want to have a player like Bismack who's able to play against, you know, teams that like to be a little bit more physical. I think Jock's more suited to go against frontcourt pieces that are more finesse. Or if a team likes to go small ball and Monty doesn't necessarily want to go small ball and put KD there, I think that's where Jock comes into play. Because he can do a lot of the short role playmaking, play off the pop and getting into dribble handoffs and things of that nature. So for Biz, being able to hold down the fort with rim protection, first of all, yeah. which was something that was a, A clear, uh, tone setter for the team. And then when Deandre Aiden came back in for his second stint, he he was able to pick up. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's the niche. That's the niche that Bismack Bianco has with this team. And, you know, he played his role to a T yesterday. He had a handful of blocks. He had a handful of just general solid rim protection, um, opportunities that he seized and just getting in the way, whether you got a direct block or not. And he was also a factor on the boards as well, doing a great job boxing out clearing out space for others to grab rebounds, and then running the floor in transition. Uh, There's one play that comes to mind specifically where the Suns got a rebound, they got off in transition, and the ball was a little bit ahead of Biz Mack. However, his man was Nas Reed at the time, and Nas Reed didn't even cross, I think, the opposite three-point line. So Biz did a good job trailing, not necessarily rim running at a full speed, but playing at like a trot to play behind the play. I think T.J. Warren or Cameron Payne missed the layup. I think it was Cameron Payne. And, of he course, got- naturally with your big man trailing the play, staying in it, he's able to come up with two points on the cleanup plus momentum after he made a play was on the defense. And That side. was, that was mm-hmm.
0: mid to late fourth, if my memory mm-hmm. serves me. Like, that was at mm-hmm. one of those big points where we're trying to finally pull away by that little bit. And that's where yep. momentum easily can shift of it's a two-on-one, you blow a layup. And what Mm -hmm. I think two minutes before we blew a four on one, which I don't even want to talk about that one. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it is being in the right place, like kind of holding it together. And I think you're right. Defensively, the blocks are always going to get the attention. I think when you have a guy who's defensive, I'm going to say personality, mentality, whatever, but like the thing he does is block shots. A lot of the times that person also is not, really good at the whole verticality aspect of rim protection. Mm -hmm. They're going to kind of cheat behind. They're going to give you that extra half step so they can get the block. He doesn't really do that whenever he's going one-on-one or a guy's kind of coming straight at him. Like He's not going to cheat to the side to let him get by. He stays straight up. He stays square. He'll take the body and do what he needs to. Like He's really good at the one thing he's really good at, and I thought he was – a really nice bright spot. I thought Doris Burke and the crew did a good job giving him love, which again, that's a guy who spent a long time, not even coming off the bench, right? Like I think there is something special about this team that we've highlighted before is like, these guys seem bought in to whatever's being preached to them. Right. Absolutely. There's, there's dudes sitting on the bench for weeks who get called in and say, all right, it's your time to deliver. And they're just ready to go. Like that yeah. is
1: that was literally Biz. That was literally yeah. Biz, Mac, two weeks ago When before DeAndre Aiden went down. Jack was getting the majority of those minutes in that stretch of games. And Biz was sitting on the bench for, I think, a two or three weeks. It was about seven or eight or nine games mm-hmm. where he didn't play. And he comes in as soon as DeAndre Aiden gets hurt. And what does he do? He just amasses like seven or eight or nine blocks over the course of four games, fortifies the starting lineup by giving them some rim protection. And then we start to see the defense perk up. I think over the last two or three games, the Suns have had a defensive rating in this stretch of games in each game where it's been holding teams to lower than the league average, which is like one thirteen points, like 113.5 or 6. They've been holding teams like 101 last night, and I think it was like 107 or 108 the game before. And they're starting to turn that corner defensively to where we're seeing them nail their principles in terms of rotations. Guys are containing the ball. Guys are where they're supposed to be in help. And in rotations, if they're putting extra attention to the ball, like we saw in a handful of the post touches from Carl Anthony Towns last night. Um, They were doing a good job being on schedule with when they would send the double team after he puts the ball in the ground and then negotiating their way out of that from the person. So they were sending their double teams from the player that passed the ball to the post. So they'll wait until Car Anthony Towns makes a decision with the live dribble. Then they would send the double team and then they would put two to the ball and make them pick it up. And then the player that was sent on the double team would then be kicked out to the opposite side to the, Offensive player that's in the opposite corner on the opposite wing. And they were doing a great job doing that with a pace and with the activity that made it hard to make passes for the person with the ball being Carl Anthony Towns to get to that second side. And if that pass did get there, they were there to close out and run that player off the three point line and keep the defensive shell intact and protect the base, which is the paint. And they were doing a great job doing that consistently with different personnel groupings as well, which is the important thing. Your starters can be good at that, but when you start trickling into your rotation, can they hold down a fort and do so the same way? And they did that and then some yesterday with activity, especially in that third quarter, Mm-hmm. I spoke to them having a 101 – I think it was 101.7 defensive rating for the game yesterday. In the third quarter, it was like 88.6, which is – that would be all time if that was a, something that was sustained for a season long. That would be by far the best defensive rating in history. I so think, that's, that's the activity levels that they were was playing at. Say,
0: I think I think you nailed it with the activity. And a big part of that for me, kind of going back to like let's look at the black and white stats, what kind of came from that the steal numbers from the guards
1: mm-hmm. was
0: not a Drew Holiday lockdown pickpocket type steals. It was exactly what you're saying: a Booker goes and helps on the double, bounces out, and then intercepts a pass because that mm-hmm. player never expects one that level of effort. I mean, they were mad sprinting to the corners; mm-hmm. I mean, they were cutting off lanes. And so, just looking, you had a with two steals, Aiton with one, Paul with two, Booker with four and then Biz had one himself, like, the mm-hmm. the effort was there. And I think that's something Booker as a whole, I think, if you're looking at a holistic view as a basketball player, defensively, I think he's gotten better every season. I think yes. there are still lulls in his activity. Mm-hmm. Last night he looked in. And I think I think you can chalk that up maybe to the Kevin Durant effect, too, of, like, we've got everyone out here. And, again, like, I think the Kevin Durant piece – maybe not distracted, but took away from this was a big game when it comes to the playoffs. And I know that that might be hard to put in context just because it's such a big mess. And we're going to say this a lot upcoming, especially with the games we have. We've got two against Denver. We close against the Clippers. Like a lot of these games are going to come with me and you saying this is a big game for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. This was like this. This was big. Whether it's tiebreakers, whether it's just kind of keeping yourself out of that loss column where we've got, I think, one game over uh, LA, a couple, like, it is, it's messy. Like, it's really Mm -hmm. messy. So, this is a big win and and it was an ugly game. I wanted to share one stat that I just thought was really funny and Kevin Durant might be to blame. The Suns scored 107 points, one by seven. They shot 41% from the field, 30% Mm -hmm. from three. And 77% from the line. Mm -hmm. Every single offensive statistic when it comes to your shooting splits were below average. And if you look player by player, there wasn't any one superstar performance who kind of bolstered that. Like, even I think if you ask someone who stood out and you're like, oh, Devin Booker, eight of 18 from the field. And you're like, oh, well, he got to the line a lot. He did. He missed three. Super Mm -hmm. uncharacteristic. Like mm-hmm. That was a bad offensive performance when it comes to the simple make-or-miss league, as stupid as that is. They missed a lot. So that's a game defensively you have to be the reason you win. And I thought, I thought we saw that, and I liked that a lot. In terms of uh, what we've been calling the others, the other guys that we're trying to figure out. So you got Terrence Ross, TJ Warren, uh, Torrey Craig, who seems to be kind of cemented together in the initial backup unit. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Landry Shamit, who didn't touch the court. Uh, Damian Lee still hasn't touched the court. Ish Wainwright, I think he's about as on the fence minutes-wise as almost anyone. What did you take away, if anything, from who Monty did play and didn't play last night? And I guess I'll just ask the same dumb question. Do you think that was more matchup than anything?
1: I think that's, again, kind of like with the Bismack and Jock situation. It's going to be a lot more... Um match up dependent, and I think the name that you that we didn't mention in terms of that group was campaign yeah uh, last night he he had one of his better games since he's come back from his injury. I think it's been about four about four weeks now he came back at the beginning of march um yeah he had he had a great game last night, and it's even past the numbers like he had some decent numbers last night, I think he had like eleven points or something like that, and like three or four assists, but even more specific than that, the eye test. Good old eye yeah. test. <laughs> he was putting pressure on the rim, putting pressure on the rim consistently, whether that was him with the live dribble, whether that was him in movement sets where he's coming off a of dribble handoffs, where he was attacking a closeout um, based off of the attention that Kevin Durant was getting when he was sharing the floor with him, or even if it was in transition, he was putting pressure on the rim time and time again. And for the Suns, that's one of the things that we need most. We need to see guys um, you're not going to get it from Chris Paul, he's going to stop short, and he's going to pull up or he's going to get a soft touch floater. You're not going to get it from Kevin Durant consistently because he's built a lot similarly to how Chris Paul is, plus those two are advanced in age and basketball terms. So you don't necessarily want them selling out to that extent. What we have been seeing is Devin Booker ever since the initiation of the, the, um, discrepancy with the whistle. He's been putting a lot more pressure on the rim, a lot more drives where he would usually pull up in the mid. He, you know, he's taking that extra step, mm-hmm. putting his head down and he's putting his, putting his shoulder into somebody and getting into the lane and he's forcing them to call fouls between him and Cameron Payne. Those are the two biggest rim pressure guys that have the ball consistently. So going back to Cameron Payne, that dynamic is one that, If he can just bring it the way he did last night, the blueprint for him to play and keep a consistent impact on the Suns is there.
0: One other name, I think, in that same category. uh, i got to be too careful uh, shelling out praise because sometimes it hasn't been fully earned. I thought Josh Ako made a tiny step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Offensively, Mm -hmm. the man still cannot shoot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he tricked the fans into thinking he could. His form looks like he should. That man has been... Ice cold for about Mm -hmm. three weeks now. But finally, he actually attacked a closeout. Mm -hmm. And he did it early. He did Mm -hmm. it early to where they actually had to say, okay, we need to force you into making a decision one way or another. Got to the line a couple times. Finished himself like once. Also just gave him better opportunities at offensive rebounds if he ends up driving and kicking for others. It was a a tiny step in the right direction. Because I think, and I think part of why I didn't even think of campaigning a Kogi. I think they're locks. I think those Mm -hmm. two at this point have separated from the group and are like, look, we know you're in that seven to eight. You're getting the minutes in the playoffs. But Kogi defensively, I get it. He He is bringing so much to the floor. Offensively, I am very nervous still because I think he can, taking last year's words, like, he can be the offensive pigeon, right? Like, the we're targeting you every time. We're forcing you to beat us. Him attacking the rim, putting pressure, even if it's – and this is, I know, silly. Even if he goes 0 for 3 at the rim, but he draws maybe one foul on a big early, that's big. Like, that yes, shifts did. things. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what he did. What did what did you see from Kogi? Maybe I didn't, um, you know – Did you like his game overall yesterday? Because I thought it was, again, kind of some good with some bad.
1: I actually love this game. And it's more especially for someone who is not necessarily inept on offense, but who struggles to find, like, their niche. Mm -hmm. I think the thing with Josh, especially with the starting unit, that they began to kind of slowly begin to sprinkle in is using him as a screener. And so naturally, if you have someone that's not necessarily a threat to shoot, it's all about where you're spacing them and how you're spacing them. So one way to space a non-shooter and make their defender have to play defense and then not concede extra help is to use them as a screener. And we saw for a couple of times, there was, it was typically when a play broke down, but it was the fact that they went to it so quickly rather than him trying to space and having someone go isolation, him going to set a screen for Kevin Durant. And, If that doesn't bring two to the ball, it's going to at least keep a Koji's defender engaged, which is going to then allow for the defensive dominoes around those two to fall, whether that's somebody cutting, whether that's somebody else spacing, it's keeping the defense in motion. And he has shown the ability to make plays off of the short roll in case he, if he does bring a screen in and they decide to trap, whether it's Devin Booker, Chris Paul, or Kevin Durant, they can hit him on a short roll. And again, naturally he's in a position to where he's playing within an advantage. Cause now there's two to the ball, there's three on two behind that. He has the ball in his hand, so you don't have to worry about him spacing. And what does he do best? Put pressure on the rim. Yeah. In that situation, he can threaten the rim, and he can play make off of that. Whether that's passing it out to the strong side, skipping it to the to the corner. Or going up, like we've seen, he has a KG pump fake, and he's also good with deceleration and using Euro steps into soft-touch finishes. So I think we saw that. I think he screamed maybe two or three times yesterday, and I think that's something they'll lean into more frequently as these games grow more meaningful.
0: Looking ahead, I think kind of taking a step away from this game, mentioned it already. The Suns have a pretty tough end of the season. Right now, the Suns are half a game above the Clippers in fourth, Clippers in fifth. They're a game and a half above the Warriors. They're two and a half games above the Timberwolves. uh, Sorry, two games above the Timberwolves, two and a half above the Lakers and Pelicans, which is still insane, uh, Mm -hmm. and three and a half again over the Thunder. And there's actually one right underneath who's technically out of the plan. It is going to be really hard for the Suns to prep for whoever they're going to play in the playoffs. Which I think is going to be really interesting. I'm curious to see if some teams are going to start losing to avoid the Suns and try to get <laughs> the Kings. But when you've got such a tiny margin for error, mm-hmm. like it's, it's hard to do that on purpose when you've got another team half a game behind you and a mm-hmm. team fighting just to get in who's right behind. So I think in terms of the cleanest path out of the group that's kind of stuck there, I feel like the Suns are very much in a, we just need to get forth. We are in control of our own destiny. I'm happy yep. about that. We Absolutely. don't have to worry about everything else. It's very much what's in front of us. How do we take care of business? Mm-hmm. Looking forward to tomorrow night. I'm, I'm pretty pumped. We got two games against the Nuggets in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, one tomorrow the 31st, one on April 6th. What are you expecting to see tomorrow night other than a much better game from Kevin Durant?
1: That game, the first one being tomorrow against Denver, is going to be an extreme feeling out process because um, on my recollection, I don't think the Nuggets have seen the Suns healthy all season. Um, they definitely weren't healthy in the Christmas game, and they weren't healthy in the game after that. Um, so just kind of looking at that and bringing the in addition to with it that the Nuggets haven't seen Kevin Durant this season at all. When he was in Denver – I mean, excuse me, when he was in Brooklyn – he wasn't healthy for any of the games where they played Denver. So seeing what the Nuggets try to do defensively, they're handicapped in a sense because of the ineptness in certain scenarios of their MVP, Nikola Jokic. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see what they try to do in terms of um like man to man with Kevin Durant. But I'm also curious because the thing with the Suns is that they run a lot of pick and roll. It's not ISO basketball. And one of the weakest things of the infrastructure of the Nuggets defense is trying to figure out what coverage for Jokic to run. In addition to him, are they getting the point of attack activity defensively from a Bruce Brown or from a KCP or even from a Jamal Murray if he's he's involved in actions? So there's a lot of uh, variables in play for the Nuggets defensively in addition to whether they have good rotations on the backside behind Jokic. I'm curious to see how frequently and how often the Suns pull at those strings, and how often can they compromise their defense? Because if they can keep the Nuggets in rotation all night, which they've shown that they could do on the highest stage and in moments since that playoff series in 2021, if they can continue to just keep them in rotation – then I think they can honestly make quick work of the Denver Nuggets. And that's not to be a slight at Denver, that's not to be a slight at them, but I do think there's avenues to where the Suns can make it extremely difficult for the Nuggets with their personnel to defend them. And by virtue of that, keep them by keep them taking the ball out of the net, which is going to keep the Suns' defense set. And when the Suns' defense is set and they're active, they're as good as anybody. I think the Suns match up better than any team in the NBA, and especially in the Western Conference for the Nuggets.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, we're getting close here to wrapping this up. Wanted to just let you all know who are listening. Uh, first of all, if you haven't realized it already, we're on a new channel here. So <laughs> if you haven't subscribed or followed or whatever, feel free to do that. I know maybe you had on the old feed. This is new, and we don't want you guys to miss us moving forward. Uh, our hope, uh, just from, from Stephen and I talking is instead of doing these monster episodes to cover a whole week of basketball, which sometimes gets really difficult, let's go ahead and do smaller episodes, but more of them. So that way we're able to do a better job covering each game. And looking ahead, this is kind of where I wanted to end with, we got six games left in the season, which feels insane to me. Uh, I'm already excited for the playoffs and nervous for the playoffs at once, but we got six games left, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Out of oh. those six games, only one team is not actively fighting for something. I, You could argue that the Nuggets are whatever. I, I don't see either of those games, the Nuggets kind of taking their foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. So what we've got is we've got the Nuggets tomorrow night, and we have the Thunder, who are absolutely in the mix, which is insane. The Spurs, the one team that we can kind of just – hope goodness fingers crossed take care of business and move on with our lives they're incentivized to lose so hopefully they'll be doing their part but then you end with a brutal stretch of three games in four days nuggets on thursday lakers on friday clippers on sunday brutal brutal end to the season i got six games for you how mm-hmm. do you think the suns are gonna uh, finish this out
1: Ah, that's a great question and I'm glad you put me on the spot. I love being in uncomfortable
0: situations.
1: (laughs) I got the Suns winning five of those six. I got them winning five. I think they'll win one against Denver and I think they'll lose one against Denver. I think the rest of the games, they'll win. And kind of in that, we're going to see them piece together a lot more of, for a sustained portion of the schedule, what the team that we're expecting to see heading into the playoffs. And... It's really just going to be rooted in having Kevin Durant in the mix as well as DeAndre Ayton because DeAndre missed a handful of games before this past week as well. So having both of those front court pieces in tandem and starting to see Monty kind of slowly hints at some of the, the things that they'll be looking to do in the playoffs. That's going to be what they're, that's going to be what they're emphasizing. He might not necessarily pull out the whole deck, obviously, cause you don't want to show your hand too soon. Right. But we're going to see small moments like he might sprinkle in a Kevin Durant small ball lineup here and there. He might bring DeAndre Ayton out of the drop and bring him up to the level of the screen here and there for a handful of reps just to have it on film for them to assess and correct heading into the playoffs. And little things like that are just going to be what I'm kind of keying my eye in for, as well as rotation things as well.
0: My guy, you just answered my next question. I was going to say <laughs> for the listeners, what's something to be looking for in these last two weeks? You've already hit on it. Uh, I got asked for Brightside in our weekly piece to predict the wins and losses. I went with, it was technically starting with the T-Wolves game. I went five and two, and I had them losing both to Denver because mm. this was not at all anything logical. My thought is, if they lose all four games in the regular season, if we match up with them in the playoffs, there's no way they're beating us four more times. Mm-hmm. That's my level of stupid logic. But I said, if we're going to play them, let's get all of our losses out of the way right now, uh, get ready for it, and then take care of business. But I'm with you, though. I, I think four or five should be good with Kevin Durant back as we creep towards full strength. My one thing to watch for is just keep your eyes on who's not playing. I want to see if we're correct in assessing that this is going to be a full team effort that's very matchup based, or is Monty maybe starting to dwindle down to his guys? I really don't know. Uh, Guys like Ish, curious to see if they're going to touch the floor in the next two weeks. Uh, is Landry going to get back? It looked like he was trending that way after his injury. I think he will. Damian Lee, on the other hand, he's been on the bench for a while now, and we've not seen that really change. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. Like we said, we've got game tomorrow night uh, and then Sunday against the Thunder. Uh, we will be back next week. We're going to figure out when that is, but uh, we'll make sure to tweet it out and you guys won't miss it. Steven, what do you got as we bring this to a close?
1: And then as we kind of around us for now, just kind of bringing it back to the game against Minnesota. One of the things that the Suns do, and it's something that you kind of hinted at with the, the half court offensive game and college basketball being so congested. One thing the Suns do very strategically is move defenders. So wherever you start a possession is not typically where you finish it. And, Forcing defenders to toggle their responsibilities and their rotations opens up gaps. And one of the things that the Suns do, as well as any team in the NBA, is opening up opportunities on a short roll for Bismack Bionbo, for DeAndre Ayton to get into that that little 12- to 10-foot um, range to shoot. And that's something that they did at nauseam yesterday in that middle third of the floor. They did it a multitude of ways off of handoffs, out of stack alignment. Um, and I'll actually be having a breakdown coming on that one uh, on my Twitter page if you want to check it out. But keep an eye on that because they didn't use Kevin Durant directly in those actions yesterday. But I do think as these games, as they build up more reps with KD, we're gonna start seeing him feature more in there, and that's gonna just change the entire dynamic and the floor balance of everything. So that's just gonna be something else to really kind of keep your eye on as we move forward.
0: I love it. And if you don't follow Stephen on Twitter, I'll make sure that the uh, at the Valley PHX is retweeting those threads and anything else he. He puts his time in on Twitter to actually give people stuff worth reading. I, on the other hand, just sometimes (laughs) scream into the abyss about things that make me annoyed. So it's a good balance. Uh, But, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, Again, check out the new feed. Make sure you're following so you don't miss an episode as we continue to pick this thing up, especially going into the playoffs where uh, we will be staying more than busy. Uh, Man. I uh, appreciate you and your time, Stephen. I, I know in the middle of the day is not always the most convenient time to record, but I'm glad we were able to get this done, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, anything you want to leave the people with before we bring it to a close?
1: Uh, I mean, I can always talk more about the game, <laughs> but I will also, <laughs> I also just leave it on uh, the fact that the Suns took something off the table from Minnesota yesterday. They like to run a lot of empty corner pick and rolls with Mike Conley and Kyle Anthony Towns, and Mike Conley, and Rudy Gobert. They took that completely off the table, and I don't know if they scored at all out of that action. So for the Suns to have got the defensive rating that we talked about in the opening, that's going to need to be the premise of this team moving forward. I know the attention is on the offense, but if they nail everything on defense, the offense is going to naturally take care of itself without them pressing. So pay attention to that defensive side of the ball.
0: Well, there we go. For Steven, I am Ethan. Go, Sun. This is Into the Valley, Phoenix Suns podcast.
1: Peace.